I'm Olson Lai, and you're listening to Deep Cut. Deep Cut, we compare a director's most popular film with a personal favorite chosen by one of us. We also discuss that director's life and career to bring in context that helps us view their movies as they may want us to. This is a special bonus summer movie diary from me. If you haven't listened to the full summer movie roundup where Eli, Ben, and I talk through our summer movie watching, stop this now and go listen to that one first. And then you can listen to me drone on for an hour and a half about the movies that I saw this summer. Um, There will be a list of the films that I watch in the description of this episode. And as always, if you like the show, please remember to give us a rating or review and subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also check us out on Twitter and Instagram, Facebook, and Letterboxd at DeepCutPod. And if you want to talk about movies that we cover on the podcast and anything else, um, you can join us on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description above or below. Or, yeah, whatever. the The episode description. Without further ado, here are my summer movie diaries. Hi, everyone. This is Wilson, and this is the start of my summer film log. It is currently June 3rd. I have just arrived in Europe after a long-ass flight from Hong Kong. It is my first time outside of the city in two years, Um, and I'm excited to see a lot of friends I haven't seen, travel to a lot of places that I've never been to before, and hopefully watch some movies along the way, but um, maybe not. I'm on holiday, so let's see. So on this long flight... I saw three films. I saw this anime film directed by Takayuki Hirao called Pompo the Cinephile. Um, I saw it on the in-flight entertainment and um, was interested in it after seeing some people rate it highly on Letterboxd. Uh, It's a very lovely film about fake Hollywood called Nyaliwood and um, this guy who wants to make... The movie of his dreams, and I think it speaks a lot to movie making, um, the the Hollywood industry as interpreted by a Japanese director, um, and it is really heartwarming. And I think if like anyone who wants to be a writer director, um, we should definitely check this out because it's a really interesting take on it. And I think there's a lot of neat filmmaker jokes inside of it. Um, the second movie that I watched is a classic that I've never seen before. It is Roger Mitchell's Notting Hill, um, starring, obviously, starring the beautiful Julia Roberts and the charming Hugh Grant. Um, I enjoyed this quite a lot. I feel like, like, of course you're going to enjoy this. This is like a late 90s, early 2000s rom-com, and I feel like that's the era in which... They were doing it so well, and like when you have Hugh Grant in a in a role in a, in a rom com, you can't 
you can't say no. You can't say no at all. And I think the the romance is laid out really well. Um, and I think the performances are great. And um, the chemistry is, is quite unmatched. Um, and the last film that I saw on this flight, and probably my favorite film on this flight, was Adam Robitel's Escape Room Tournament of Champions. So this is the sequel to the first Escape Room movie that I didn't see. Um, so this was just like a pick on the in-flight ent- entertainment that I just wanted to watch because um, I'm a big Taylor Russell fan from Waves, even though I didn't enjoy Waves. I thought she was the best part of Waves. And she is incredible in this movie. Um, But what I really loved about this movie is how they really just launched into action set piece followed by action set piece until the film's ending. This film did not stop delivering on its action beats. My heart was thumping the entire, like, 85 minute runtime and it was incredible i encourage you to watch it i think people would just throw this away as like a trashy action flick yeah it it can be trashy but i admire the many ways that the many creative ways um that they show these people in these escape rooms and the many creative ways that they, they try to get out of it and there's no need to put so much exposition or backstory and it's just just a fun wild time good evening it is july 1st um lol at the fact at me earlier last month saying that i was gonna watch a lot of movies this summer and i didn't watch any more movies in the month of june because i was busy traveling and sadly didn't even get to go to any theaters in the countries that i visited But now I have touched down, I'm in New York City, and this month, I'm going to watch a shit ton of movies. So on the flight over from Europe, I caught two movies. I watched um, Nora Ephron's You've Got Mail, which was awesome. I thought it was really, really great. Um, Compared to Notting Hill, I think the screenplay is a lot tighter, the direction is also a lot tighter um you can feel an authorial voice there um i think uh tom hanks gives a really great performance in it um and meg ryan is so lovely in this um and i think my only gripe with this is that it's really hard to buy this romance at the end of it because hanks is such a horrible guy in this and like him the the big conglomerate bookstore winning in the end um feels like not the right choice to make um but i don't know yeah still a classic and i'm glad i still caught it and um the second movie that i caught on this flight was mass and Mass is directed by Fran Kranz. Um, it was... I know Eli and Ben talked about it a lot in the year-end episode that we did for 2021. And I'm glad I was able to finally see it. And it was quite fitting to watch it on my flight into coming into the U.S. Um, as it talks about two families getting together after... Like, years after a school shooting and... Um, 
one of the sets of parents is of one of the victims and one of the sets of parents is uh, of the perpetrator of the mass shooting. And um, it is a really heavy film. And um, I found myself crying through like so much of this movie like the guy next to me on the flight was asking me if I was okay um and I was just like no it's just the film but I think it is a really important movie for everyone to watch especially voting Americans um as I think it really clearly shows the effect that mass shootings have um on families and just people in general. Um, I'm not going to say too much more. I, I, I think that the decision to make the film really pared back stylistically and let the, um, the actors work and the script um, speak for themselves was such a powerful and great choice. Um, and I think all the performances, all four of the lead performances are really stunning, um, especially Martha Plimpton, um, who really deserved all the awards that season. Um, yeah, definitely check this out if you have the chance. I've arrived in New York City is July 1st, and I've caught my first movie in the theater. Um, I've moved into my sublet in Manhattan, uh, in Kipps Bay, and... I went to the AMC Kips Bay because it was the closest cinema to me this morning to catch Top Gun Maverick at a not quite empty, but quite nearly quite empty cin- uh, cinema. So maybe is it the movie that will save cinemas this summer? Who knows? Maybe not. Um, but <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I think um, Tom Cruise still has the chops to be an action leading man. I think the um, script was simple enough to let the action scenes really like fly and speak for themselves and I think the action scenes are well placed within the the plot um, to sort of up the stakes until the final mission that they have to achieve. I thought it was really funny that they never named their enemy in the film and they just like left it left it for us to decide which which global superpower this this evil villain is i think all the new cast of characters miles teller glenn powell um are all great they look so good i don't know how how they got their bodies into that shape for those like volleyball scenes but i am not complaining and yeah top gun maverick movie of the year who knows? It is July 4th. Happy July 4th weekend, everybody. I am in New Jersey, and I just caught Elvis with my aunt at a local theater. And it was a packed screening, and contrary to, I guess, popular belief or letterbox belief, this is actually a great film. It is, I think, after years of having the worst musical biopics ever like Bohemian Rhapsody and Rocketman which was not terrible but I just think my the problem with these movies is that they are not creatively inspired and even though they're about artists they are they feel so bland but of course it 
all it takes is an auteur. And Baz Luhrmann stuck to his guns and made Elvis, which is a balls-off-the-wall, coked-up um, portrait of, of Elvis's life. I think the transitions all work. The editing is crazy and keeps you on your toes. The cinematography is so off the wall. Like, I think this sort of maximalism when it comes to movies about these pop stars works. And I think Austin Butler's performance holds everything together um, so beautifully. I think he has such an important job to sort of hone everything in because the Baz is like created, like visually, stylistically going on all these tangents and going like bouncing off the walls. It is up to Austin Butler's Elvis to to keep us grounded and to keep our emotional focus through this movie. And I think he does an incredible job. It is July 5th and I am at the cinemas again. I returned to New York City and went to IFC Center where they were still playing RRR. I am so happy I got to rewatch this on the big screen. We will definitely be having an episode on this Rajamuli epic. Um, so I'm not going to say too much, but five stars, one of his best. We will talk about it soon. It is July 7th, 2022. I'm Eli. I'm Wilson. <laughs> Together. <laughs> at last. <laughs> Woo. Wilson is on his uh, Wilson Live World Tour 2022 yeah. and stopping in New York for July, mm-hmm. the first of many movies to come this month. Exactly. We saw Lost Highway. By David Lynch. And it's... now we're sitting on top of the Francesca Beale Theater. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you think of the movie, Eli? So it's interesting. I really love The Return, as Wilson and Ben have heard all too much of, and in both Inland Empire and Lost Highway, which I believe are the two movies that uh, most recently precede The Return, if I'm not wrong. They're elements of what makes The Return feel so special to me, but I don't feel as emotionally engaged, at least on first viewings for both of them. Mm-hmm. This is... by design that it is so distanced and I'll admit that I fell asleep in a couple points. Me too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Unfortunately, I think it was a little bit of the jet lag that I'm experiencing. I'd be willing to visit it again down the road. There are things that I really like. The music. Mm-hmm. The I lighting. Think, yeah, I think the music, the cinematography are also the high points for me. Um, but I felt a bit lost like through, through a lot of it. And I think, like, of course... I think David Lynch is coming from a place where he doesn't want you to get everything that he's putting on screen. Yeah. Um, and it's all about your, your feeling, like your, your, how, how you feel while watching this. And definitely I felt uncomfortable a lot of the time, but I think um, my confusion led me to not connect as much um, like viscerally, not even emotionally, but viscerally to, yeah. to what was happening. Because I'm like, yeah, I can see these horrible things are happening, but I'm like, I, I, like things are not like clicking in my mind. Um, and I think that was like the block for me personally. I think that's a good way to put it because when Lynch works really well, to me, it is a very visceral, 
it is a very visceral feeling, particularly of terror and dread. Yeah. Those very in-the-body feelings of not understanding something, it can still be emotionally engaging in that sense, and mm-hmm. I didn't necessarily feel that on yeah. this watch. Yeah. But yeah, those are quick thoughts <laughs> on Lost Highway. We caught the 4K restoration that's playing at Lincoln Center. Very pretty. Yes. And we'll catch you soon. Talk soon. Hey everyone, it's Wilson. It is July 10th, and I just got out of a screening of Project A Part 2, which I saw at Nighthawk Prospect Park, and it was one of those, I get uh, special secret Hong Kong movies where you go in and you don't know what they're going to play and they play an old Hong Kong movie. Um, And this is a Jackie Chan directed action movie. It's a sequel to a original that I did not see. It has Jackie Chan and Maggie Chung in it. I think the action scenes are obviously really great. I think this suffers from some plot issues. I think there's a lot of chunks of this that don't have action that I was quite not not quite in the mood for um but i think the action scenes make up for a lot of that yeah it was a fun watch still july 10th i saw a movie with a couple new friends and an old friend as well um this is hideki ano's ritual which he made in 2000 i think it was one of his live-action movies. Um, I'm not quite familiar with his filmography, so this is my first um, Anno thing. i am heard really good things about Evangelion, so I will definitely check it out. And this this sort of wrecked me, um, and I don't really have the words to describe why and how it does, but um, I think this the character's relationship with the camera and with each other um and making that connection was really strong and like affected me really deeply um and it's it is it's really dark as well um yeah i yeah i'm sort of at a loss for words but definitely check it out if you're into weird movies about disillusionment and filmmaking It is July 11th. I caught the new film Marcel the Shell with Shoes On, directed by Dean Fleischer Camp with a couple friends at the AMC Kipps Bay. And yeah, it was fine. It was not as good as I thought it would be. It felt really short, I think. Like, I, I thought the conclusion was just like the end of act two and we were like going on another adventure but then the movie just ended like that um i did tear up though and i think jenny slate's voice acting is really good as well as the other shells yeah it's it's a little weird this one felt a little flat for me i'm sorry it is july 13th and i just got out of a screening of akira kurosawa's sanjuro at film forum i saw with my lovely friend joseph eusebio and it was great it was great i really enjoyed this movie i think that out of probably the five movies of kurosawa i've seen i wouldn't put it on the top two but it's i would say that it's more enjoyable than seven samurai uh 
just because I have a thing about Seven Samurai's length. Um, I, for, for reference, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm sitting next to Wilson and I just gave him a, oh, really, look. <laughs> yes, oh, really. Um, I think uh, Mifune gives an outstanding performance in this. I didn't realize that this... Well, I feel like someone wrote this online or someone told me in person that um, Kurosawa movies are comedies. And um, this was... I, like the, uh, There were so many comedic moments in this and it was, there was so many like farcical aspects to the whole plot um, that made it so enjoyable. And you always... You always appreciate the way Kurosawa stages and composes a scene. Um, and I think that's uh, no question here. Um, the main group of heroes are 10 of them. And um, there's so many scenes where they're all in it together. Um, and the way Kurosawa tells them to move within a shot and direct your eyes um, is so masterful. And I feel like there's just so much to learn from it. Um, yeah, lucky to catch on 35mm, happy to watch it again. Have you seen, uh, Yojimbo? I haven't seen Yojimbo. Okay, that's the other one with the same Mifune character. Yeah, it's supposed to be a prequel to, well, it's supposed oh. to be the first movie, so I saw the second movie, but maybe, heads up, if I see Yojimbo this summer. Great movie. The date is July 13th, 2022. Mm -hmm. I'm Eli. I'm Wilson. And I'm Justina. Yeah. <laughs> if you guys don't know, Justina makes the covers for Deep Cut. And we both were, Justina and I were both really lucky um, to be able to catch Mad God, Phil Tippett's Mad God, which was Eli's favorite film of last year on the big screen with Eli. And we caught it at IFC Center. Um, Eli's talked about this film on, on the 2021 um, Best of episode, so I'm going to go first. And Please. <laughs> I want to say that I, I really love this movie. I think um, I really appreciate, I understand um, Eli's appreciation for uh, the craft that went into all these creatures and building the whole world of the film. Um, I still, like, can't wrap or my head around maybe at least, like, ten things that were happening in the <laughs> film. Like, I was like, how, how did this happen? Knowing that it took Tippett 30 years to make this, um, you can tell because, like, you, you can tell that some sequences were filmed earlier and some sequences used CGI maybe a little mm -hmm. bit and, like, compositing with real life elements and stop motion elements and I think that the amount of like gory horror elements really surprised me as well and I feel like that was balanced out really like, really beautifully with this really like calm score that was definitely like a highlight for me as well yeah I would highly recommend people watch it and and catch it in a theater near you um, yeah. well said Nice. I mean, we were talking about um, the body in the film, and the body is something that was so easily destroyed and then regenerated, and just like the general dehumanization or like how fleeting like life was in this film. 
Um, and I feel like it was really, it was a really interesting commentary on sort of the late capitalist world we live in and also linking like what it means to be um, born and like what value does your life have. Um, and then there's a really interesting sequence in the middle of the film that made me think about like our reproductive rights and how that sort of intersects with our labor rights as well. Um, yeah. And also how like schizophrenic like time was in the film and how it felt like the general arc of the film. Um, like I felt like the goal was to sort of have the world like explode mm. and implode on itself and the like soldier's end, goal? right? Yeah, the soldier's goal. Yeah. Who yeah. we were following from the beginning. Um and just like the when when the bombs stopped ticking, I was so anxious. Um and I just feel like that was such a good like characterization of time and also like reflective of our current political moment. That's my ramble. <laughs> there is no catharsis that comes from that goal. The bomb doesn't ultimately go off. I was thinking a lot about the structure of this movie this time around. And one of the things that occurred to me is that the closest thing to catharsis the movie gets in a climax sense is this abstract sequence that the floating caretaker causes by killing the baby that comes from inside of the soldier. So anything beautiful in this movie comes from brutality. Um, yeah. So well put. I agree with that. And there's, there's an inherent pull in it because um, they can't exist without each other, just as the characters which are so creative can't exist without the cruelty of having been made and destroyed by Phil Tippett, arguably the mad god of the movie. So I'm really glad I got to watch it again with both of you. Very fun time. Yeah. Still one of my favorite movies. Uh, and yeah, I, I'll echo Wilson and say, seek it out if you can. Go see I agree, it. I agree. And we'll catch you for the next movie. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, this is Wilson from the future. I'm recording a review for a movie that I forgot to record a review of. And it was a while back, so please don't get bad at me because I don't really remember that much about it. And I can't refer to a letterbox review because I did not review it. And it was the discreet charm of the bourgeoisie uh, by Louis Bunel. And I saw it at Film Forum when it was playing there over the summer. And I really enjoyed it because I gave four and a half stars. But I'm really racking my brain right now to remember why. I th did remember having a really fun time and laughing a lot in the cinema. But I think there was really interesting um, blocking and framing from the images of the film that I remember. Almost, maybe, I could say with 60% certainty, it is a blast. So, yeah, take my word for whatever, <laughs> and I'll see you later.
It's July 15th. I just caught Fast and Feel Love at its New York, North American premiere at the New York Asian Film Festival with Eli. And I had to run right after, so um, I couldn't stay and record it with him. Um, this is the newest film from Nawapal Thamurongrantanarit. And this is a director that I got into last year after seeing Happy Old Year in a theater in Hong Kong and really loving it. Um, so I caught his film Die Tomorrow and 36 prior to this and have been a big fan of those two. And this feels like a weird change in course for him. Um, there was a Q&A after the film and I think he himself described this as a change in his career, um, sort of a reflection of entering his middle age. It is really funny. I think its movie references are really great, got a lot of laughs out of the crowd and from me as well. I am interested in seeing his more commercial approach to things. Um, so yeah, I'm ex excited to see what he does next, but this wasn't like a home run or as effective as his previous works were emotionally for me. It is July 18th, 2022, and I just finished watching this year's film directed by Adam and Aaron Nee, I guess they're brothers, called The Lost City. It is a prime rom-com starring Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock. This is a movie I started on the plane, enjoyed it a lot, or enjoyed it decently, decently enough that I felt the need to finish it today. Um, I had 20 minutes left, so it was just the conclusion. I think the gags are really good in this, um, and I'm still happy that there's room or there's space for classic early 2000s-esque rom-coms um, in the modern day movie sphere. And um, I guess I was really worried about uh, streaming and superhero movies taking away space from mid-budget studio comedies or mid-budget American films. But this is a good example of a post-pandemic rom-com that works and is riveting. Um, uh, Daniel Radcliffe is also really great in this. So if this is your speed, check it out. It is July 19th, and I just got out of a theatrical screening of Tsai Ming Liang's Goodbye Dragon Inn. This is a movie, this was actually the first Tsai Ming Liang film I, that I ever watched. So it was my introduction to him. And after seeing many of his other films, I'm returning to this as it is meant to be seen in a theater. And oh, what a fucking picture. I love the way that this film looks on the big screen. I love the interactions that it shows. I think no one conveys loneliness like Tsai does. Um, the rain beating down outside of the theater at the end. It's uh, so many images are sticking with me and it's just vibes. He's operating not on dialogue so much of the time um, and just feelings and filling his long takes um, with so much emotion with just minimal or controlled action. Still a master of staging and framing. I 
really want to cover Sai on the pod and hope we get to soon. It is July 20th, and I just got out of a documentary screening of Fire of Love, the new film by Sarah Dosa, um, distributed by Neon, I think, I'm pretty sure. I am generally pretty underwhelmed by this film, even especially because I've heard really, really great things about the film. Um, I went in expecting or thinking that the scope of the film would be a lot larger than what was covered. I really appreciated and enjoyed Miranda July's narration, though. I think that was a good anchor to a story. And I understand that, I guess, the amount of clips is limited to the amount that they shot. Um, And I guess it's really fascinating to see the filmic choices that were made by these scientists, even before knowing that this would be screened to thousands or tens of thousands of people. Interesting framing, um, a beautiful story behind the picture. Yeah. Hi, this is Wilson from the future again, and I am coming back around to deliver this quick audio log on Miami Vice by Michael Mann, which I saw on July 21st at the Metrograph, and I had a great time. It was very hot. Gong Li is a treasure. I'm still a little unfamiliar with Mann's filmography, but I'm enjoying everything that I have seen so far, especially Black Hat, but this was also engaging and I appreciate his contributions to the action genre. It is July 22, 2022, and I just got out of a screening at AMC Kipps Bay. It's a very late night screening with my dear friend Gio um, of the new Jordan Peele movie, Nope. And it was incredible watching something so highly anticipated on opening night. And I think Nope did not disappoint. Um, Okay, maybe it sort of did. But um, I think it was one of the better American movies that I've seen this year so far. And even though I do think it sort of isn't able to reach the highs of Peele's feature debut, Get Out, I do think it's a stronger film than Us. Um, And I think... What makes this film really good is the sibling relationship at the heart of it. Um, the st- siblings played by Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya. But that's also one of the things that I wish I saw more of. Because it's the heart of the film, I wish Peel spent more script time and also scream time um, strengthening that relationship and showing us why they're such a good team even before bringing all the other team members um, into this film but still a joy to watch especially with a big crowd hi everyone it is august 30th and i have returned to asia Um, i'm going to quickly talk about three films i saw on my flight i love plane movies and i do think we should have a maybe a a bonus episode on plane movies because they are really interesting and i feel like it is a liminal space where 
I don't know, you could just sort of watch semi-trashy movies. Not to say that any of these are trashy, but uh, <laughs> the three movies I saw were quite an eclectic group of films. I saw Howard Hawks' The Big Sleep, which is uh, made in 1945, um, which surprisingly I really didn't en enjoy as much as I thought I would. Um, I think the plot is too confusing, is way too confusing. It's too many things are happening there that don't really need to happen for a noir. Yeah, I feel like there, it needs to be clear enough to follow in order to track, like emotionally track our main character and his feelings. Um, but Lauren Bacall is such a standout in this film. And there's a reason that she was a massive star in her day. So the second film that I saw, which was the highlight of my flight, um, which was Ringo Lamb's Full Alert. So Ringo Lamb made this in 1997. It stars one of my favorite Hong Kong actors, Lao Ting Wan. And it is basically an intense cop versus crime lord film. And it is boiled down, it is visceral, it's angry. Ringo Lamb directing our emotions into anger is one of the most effective things he does. This is something that I've seen in oh, the only other Ringo Lamb film that I have seen, which is School on Fire, which I think perfects this. But in Full Alert is another really great example of his getting us to, to not just sympathize, but empathize. Um, with the overall anger we have at society. So the last film that I saw, and it was such a joy to watch this on the flight, um, was Josh Greenbaum's film from last year, Barb and Star Go to Vista Del Mar. What can I say? It's hilarious, it's joyous. The ladies at the center of this, Kristen Wiig playing a double role, and Annie Mumolo. Oh, I, it was great. It was great. It was so much fun. And I think it was better than what I expected it to be. And Jamie Dornan is maybe better than Channing Tatum at playing a rom-com hunky lead. Okay, Wilson out. Hi, everyone. It is August 14th, and I just got out of screening of the new film starring Leah Thompson. Good luck to you, Leo Grand. I really enjoyed this. I think it was quite light, but um, I really appreciated how bottle episode-y it felt as most of the scenes took place in the hotel room that her character shares with a sex worker that she begins to see um, in order for her to open her sexuality up. And it was very lovely. I think it covered a topic that I haven't seen in popular cinema before. And um, I think the compositions, the framing um, was really impressive. Uh, yeah. It's August 19th, and I just watched Hong Sang-soo's um, 2012 film starring Isabel Huppert in Another Country. And... His other film with Huppert, Claire's Camera, is 
one of my favorite films of all time and my favorite Hong Sang-soo film. So I sort of had semi-high hopes for this, and this film did not disappoint. I really appreciate the lightness and the airiness that Hooper brings to Hong cinema. I think there's a sort of carefree attitude that becomes applied to his films when she when she enters and i think all the language barrier and translation stuff is really comedic and very very fun to play around with and it seems like a great exercise for both of them because hong is also working in this i guess it's a triptych um structure but i think grounding it in um a concept of a girl writing different screenplays to get her mind off of a tense situation that's happening in her real life um and imagining different situations with a french woman visiting this quiet beach town a few hours away from seoul um called mohang every time that the story restarts in classic hong fashion um i like that there is meaning and thought behind it in that I am thinking about, oh, this girl is is rewriting. This girl is um, making another draft of her script. Um, it really adds a airiness to the film that I really appreciate. It is August 22nd, 2022, and I just watched um, Eric Romare and Rosette's Adventures of Rosette, which was made in 1983. Ever since we recorded our Romare episodes, I've been like semi-dipping my toes back into Romare little bit by little bit. And um, this was a really lovely, even though maybe minor addition to his filmography, but I think a great melding of the minds between him and Rosette, a collaborator, an actress of his that I guess he's been drawing inspiration from. And so the stories are based on um, on her, her life and her escapades um, during a summer. And um, it feels very loose, but I think it is supposed to be because they were intended to be different short films and not um, put together in this one anthology. Uh, like I compare this to Romare's Rendezvous in Paris, which feels a lot more lasered in or focused uh focused is the word so the five stories here some have greater impact than others but i always love how much wackiness rosette brings to the plot she is sort of like a like a wild card character whenever she comes up in situations and um i love how she gets herself into a problem and then gets herself out of a problem it is really charming and also getting to see regular romare collaborators and players like marie reverie pascal gregory maria luis garcia just reappearing in these different shorts is is really charming it is the same day it is August 22, 2022, and I just watched a documentary by Man Lim Chung um, called Keep Rolling, and this documentary is a portrait of one of my favorite directors of all time, Anne Hui. I just, I just drafted up a really, really long review on Letterboxd, so if you want to hear what I have to say about this movie in written form, um, it's up there right now, but in long story short, it 
is a great movie and I think one of the best director biopics out there. It not only paints a portrait of Anne Hoy as an artist, but also Anne Hoy as a person who's willing to admit that she's made some mistakes in her life and in her career. And I think the humbling nature of this portrait of her um, makes me like her even more. And um, I think the intimacy that Man Lim Chung gets with her because he worked as her production designer on Our Time Will Come and followed her and interviewed her afterwards and during the press tour of that movie, um, you just get a truer sense of who she is. Um, And I think there's also some really interesting things that are being said at the end of this film about the state of the Hong Kong film industry and its place in the world. Yeah, so this is a highly recommended film for me. And um, if you want to learn more about Anne Hui, if you've seen a few of her movies, this is a great place to get more information. If you have never heard of her before and you want a primer on her, this is also a great starting point. It is August 23rd, and after watching a biopic of a Hong Kong director, I decided to choose another film about a Hong Kong director to watch the next day. And this is a shorter film. Um, It is less than an hour long. So this is Ferris Lin, who directed um, a feature on the work and life of Johnny Toe called Boundless that I watched in research for our Johnny Toe episode. Shout out to that Johnny Toe episode. Go check that one out. It's really early in our run, but it is one of my favorites. And this um, is The Weaving of a Dream, Johnny Toe's Vision and Craft. And this is a Ferris Lynn's behind-the-scenes documentary about the making of Three. Um, I guess you shouldn't watch this if you haven't watched Three, but I watched Three and um, wanted to see how they pulled uh, pulled off a lot of stuff, and um, especially that long take at the end. And this did not disappoint the way that this man works is crazy. Johnny Toe and his screenwriter, Yao Na Hoi, um, write the script while on set. So there's a lot of this film showing the actors just waiting because Toe and Yao were not able to crack a plot problem. And it is insane watching them trying to work under so much pressure. I think I would literally die if that was in that situation. It is still the 23rd of August, and I just watched probably one of my favorite watches, new watches of this summer. It is a short film by Japanese director Naomi Kawase called Katatsumori, and it was made in 1994. And she filmed this when she was still 24 years old, and it's incredible. I love this movie so much. It is about her and her relationship with her grandmother, and it's basically a collection of home video of her interacting with her grandmother and just talking about life and when she was younger. And yeah, it really spoke deeply to me, and it will remain a movie that has a really special place in my heart um, and hopefully will return to over and over again. Um, so lovely. So, so, so lovely. Please check this one out. August 24th, just saw Broker on the big screen. Very good. Very good. Feels like classic Coriata. We'll wait 
till a deep cut upkeep episode to talk more. Um, just saw an early Naruse film from 1935 called The Actress and the Poet. If you don't follow me on Letterboxd, I've been doing this project, this really slow and long-term project of going through Naruse's whole filmography. So this was just one film in this and probably one of my least favorite or weakest um, from Naruse's output that I've seen so far. It is a comedy. This is, I think this is like either his second or his third sound film. So I feel like he's still getting used to telling stories with dialogue um, and venturing into genre territory that probably he didn't feel super comfortable with and I guess didn't really return to that much later in his career this is a comedy about neighbors basically different households um and gender roles in the household which is I guess a theme that he plays with in most of his career but um leaves a lot more to be desired and I think like if you were to watch Naruse do not start with this one it is August 29th, and I just watched Owen Klein's directorial debut, Funny Pages, and had a blast, really. I didn't really have that high or low expectations going in and sort of just chose this movie on a whim, but it is so grimy that you can't, I can't, I, I can't keep on going in this review without um, explaining that this is so gross and really goes for it and makes wants to make you feel so uncomfortable watching it and I think it achieves it like goes to the moon and back and achieves that the, the characters are horrible to each other they're horrible people um, and I think it makes you so feel so icky inside that I can't not commend it for what it does and like, even if I come out of a film and I don't feel good, that's not my litmus test for if I like or how highly I rate a movie. It's always the amplitude of what feeling the movie elicits from me. And um, this was pretty high on that. So definitely check that out if you're in for a horrible time. Hi, this is Wilson from the future here recording another review for a movie that I missed this summer. This is a movie that I saw on August 30th, 2022, so it was around the end of my summer, and it was Mike DeLeon's early film, Moments in a Stolen Dream, starring the incredible Hilda Coronel and Christopher DeLeon. This is a genre movie, it's a romance film, a young love film um, that looks scrumptious it is such a beautiful looking film and you can tell that Mike DeLeon was a cinematographer first because the colors in this the compositions the zooms it feels so intentional even though I feel like there was a really easy way out of how this movie could be directed I think the camera work really elevates this to another level um yeah, check this out. It is August 30th, and I just saw Anne Hoy's All About Love, the 2010 movie about um, a lesbian and a bisexual woman 
falling back in love in Hong Kong. I really love this. I think this approach to queer storytelling is so unique and, um, I don't know, so novel. I feel like I took, you take a lot of things for granted, but I have to remember that this was made in 2010 and how, how forward thinking this was in presenting and revealing a, a modern queer family where all parties involved are open and willing and happy to contribute. Um, it feels so much in tune, so much more in tune with local Hong Kong culture of the time than I would say maybe even like a happy together, which speaks to something a little more universal, but this works better on understanding local Hong Kong culture more. So I would highly recommend this. Hi everyone, this is Wilson. It is August 30th and I just watched Patrick Tom Gaming's Love Massacre, which was made in 1981. It stars Bridget Lin. And this might be one of the f my favorite movies that I've seen this summer. Um, it is a slasher film. I don't want to give a lot away because a lot hinges on the twists and the violence, the unexpected violence that happens in this film. Um, but this sense of eeriness, this sense of detachment and this sense of loneliness um, Patrick Tam imbues this film with is what, in my opinion, is his idea of what it is like to live in America as an immigrant from Hong Kong. Um, and I think uh, the violence that is allowed in this film is harrowing, but also the way that it's presented is so gorgeous. There's so many simple frames, simple color work in the production design, um, the blown out whites of the, of the frame make everything feel so sterile and so unwelcoming. And um, I just am so blown away by how visceral this film is and how out there it is. Um, this is my third Patrick Tam film that I've seen. I'm definitely gonna go down the rabbit hole and watch through his entire filmography because this was incredible and I implore everyone to go find this movie and watch it. Thanks. If you're staying till the end, um, thank you so much for listening to me talk for so long. I'm sorry. Or thank you and I don't know. Yes, thank you so much. I'm going to do the outro. <laughs> thank you for listening to this episode of Deep Cut. Please rate and review because that helps us keep making the show. Be sure to subscribe to us where you listen to podcasts so you'll know when our next episode drops. You can keep up with Deep Cut on Twitter and Instagram. Join us to talk about movies on our Discord server, to which you'll find a link in the description. Thank you to Justina Yam for our beautiful artwork. I am Wilson, and we are looking forward to talking about more movies with you next time. Take care.